0: Hey everyone, Uh, welcome. It's wonderful to see you here today. I'm Bob Rogers. I am co-founder and chief scientist at Beekeeper AI. Um, I'm gonna let Steve talk first, but I just wanted to set the stage for for our conversation today. We're talking about how zero trust can enable the last mile in healthcare and What's interesting, Steve and I spent quite a lot of time this morning talking about our our views of challenges in healthcare, uh, challenges around access to data, uh, where that blocks our ability to provide efficient care or track what needs to be done across the community or to actually do research and develop new diagnostic and operational technologies with AI and it's the the theme that emerged for me and I'll be curious about feedback from everybody uh, at the end is that what you'll see here is two different views of data security and healthcare that are both non-traditional but are both creating a very complementary. Uh, way of creating value across the entire uh, care experience. So I think um, I'm gonna be very curious to hear the details of what Steve has to say, and uh, of course encourage you to ask us questions. And um, uh, the only other question that I would have is, I'm curious, are people, uh, just raise your hand, are you, are you working in a health, health system? Okay, couple. What about uh, payers? And uh, other other policy or uh, any other areas I see I saw a lot of security security, mm-hmm. security in general okay perfect. Uh, so obviously there will be some uh, there will certainly be some some connections for all of you as we uh, as we connect the dots here between these two uh, two ways of thinking about security and healthcare. So Steve, do you want to start? Sure so uh, I have
1: about, Uh, 40 years of experience in uh, doing lots of uh, big data with uh, sensitive data sets and have come through several generations of artificial intelligence and uh, we shared some experiences uh, earlier today about how that is, uh, you know, how difficult that can be. Um, I think in the healthcare arena you have nothing but sensitive data and if you're going to do something meaningful, uh, you really need access to that in order to develop the right kinds of automation and it starts with good statistical characterizations of what you have and then what you can automate and we talked about various trials and views of how you decide what to automate and what's worth doing and performance and what that means to business decisions but i think the most important thing to realize and this has been echoed throughout the morning and uh, afternoon is that data has a lifetime if you can't really make use of the data in its lifetime, and as it ages, its utility continues to degrade. Um, you know, what can you really do with lo- all that data you're collecting and protecting? Right, so you need to get it to the point of action. So at SoftThread, we've come up with uh, technology that we call Kios, uh that's basically our own proprietary blockchain. It's a method for um, sharing information, decentralizing storage to controlling access and fine-grained data, access controls and service controls. Um, and that software uh, is called Kaios because uh, the first democracy was uh, in Greece and it was uh, the, the democracy, the, the little group was called Kyos and so we are trying to democratize data, free it for the purposes that it should be used and appropriate use is, is the guiding principle. So we're able to insert policy controls, we're able to understand who can take action on what pieces of data, who can access what services and systems. So we often start with uh, registering the entities that are going to be involved, whether it's individuals or people, Uh, they get authenticated, they're made members of the network, Um, and you can think about this in the Internet of Things as also doing that with devices, so devices are also joining this special network and we have a multi-server consensus protocol that we're using to arbitrate transactions and decide which ones are allowed um, to be used. Uh, we implemented this in a way that's really fast, so uh, I think we, we could benchmark around 30,000 transactions a second, um, which is quite good, I think, for that kind of an operation. Um, and then we achieved Byzantine fault tolerance, which means that uh, basically 30% of our servers or so can be wiped out um, and we can continue to operate. So this gives you some robustness with respect to error. It gives you robustness with respect to cyber attack. So uh, if you have to take some number of your servers offline in order to patch them or you're, you're in the middle of a, of a war and we tried to envision that this morning uh, you know, in a healthcare world where you actually have cyber defenders who are actively engaged in, in trying to keep something from happening. Um, this buys you the space and oxygen in order to do that. Um, I think uh, you know, there's a lot of interest in our technology because it layers in over existing uh, systems. So there's not a lot of need to rip out what you've done already in order to make use of it. And the way we've implemented our architecture in a modular fashion allows you, allows you to use whichever modules you think are important for your application. And you can start small and grow large um, and then scale as your experience dictates. Um, we're a primarily business to um, business function at this point, although we have some engagements where we've done both the front end and the back end uh, kinds of work. Um, I think you've all experienced, you know, going, and it's, it's been talked about today, going to uh, an office visit or going to the hospital and having records be incomplete. Um, One of our use cases involves layering in the CIO solution so that you can connect disparate systems in order to get and move towards patient-centered care so that you get a much better sense of of what's going on. I was recently in the uh, ER with my mom uh, and the records were incomplete. And of course, she's not feeling great. She's 91 years old. (laughs) She's not feeling great. She doesn't really want to have these conversations with the doctor. Her information is coded somewhere else. Um, and it took quite a while to find it and lots of consternation in the, in the interim. So, you know, we all have our own personal story about how the dots don't connect. If you've done COVID testing, you've experienced it. Some of your tests show up in some places, some not in others. Your immunizations don't all show up in the same place depending on where you went to get them. Um, so we feel like CHIOS is gonna help us connect those dots. It does the same for the Internet of Things. There was talk earlier today about sensors and sensor networks. Uh, We're able to fold those in as well and protect those. Um, And I think it's going to be increasingly important. We talked about zero trust. um, You know, what is zero trust? And so it got highlighted by the executive order that was put out for cybersecurity. And the organization CISA, the Cyber and Infrastructure Security Agency, you know, has developed some principles and a framework for how to achieve uh, zero trust that focuses in on identity, and uh, devices and networks, and uh, then your applications and the workflow. Um, But primarily, the number five item is data. Uh, That's the thing we all want to protect. So we feel like Kiosk brings a lot to the table with respect to each of those components of Zero Trust. And Zero Trust is really about moving away from this network location-centered protection scheme to really protecting what's happening with people and assets um, and uh, and the processes that they're engaged in, their activities. So um, I think as we move to zero trust, that's what we're talking about, is adding in additional security that addresses those. So I think that, you know, Kiosk is needed for uh, achieving those kinds of protections, and our clients are engaging us in that way. Uh, how do we get good cybersecurity as we go through a merger and acquisition? Are we... To, you know, acquire more hospitals or whatever uh, is happening in the business world, you don't want the systems that are supporting those activities to be in a laggard mode, you know, constantly trying to play catch up at great cost um, in, in order to achieve a single system. So uh, I'll just leave that as a sort of an introduction. Um, you know, so we're lightweight. We can move to the front end for um, IoT. Uh, we enable the AI work that needs to go on as well.
0: And I'll, I'll be able to connect that dot okay, just good, a good. little bit the end of my um, exposition. So again, as I said, I'm Bob Rogers. Um, the beekeeper AI story actually started about three years ago uh, when I was expert in residence for artificial intelligence at the University of California, San Francisco, Center for Digital Health Innovation. And I was working with my colleague who's hiding out in the back, Mary Beth Chalk, we were both at, at the Center for Digital Health Innovation um, working on the development of the world's first FDA cleared AI on an X-ray device. And um, the the starting point of that was using UCSF data to develop a suite of 25 algorithms that could reside on portable X-ray in the ICU, detect specific emergent conditions, and then and then trigger the right workflow responses to those to those uh, conditions. And what we found was that it was relatively easy for us, I mean, looking back, it was relatively easy for us to create those algorithms on our data for as a starting point. But getting it actually cleared by the FDA required proving that it could work <clears throat> on a, a, a large number, a large number like five diverse data sets all throughout the country. And that part of the project was immensely difficult. It was costly, it took us 18 months just to get through contracting with each of the individual, uh, you know, counterparties that had data that we were interested in working with. So what we realized is there's gotta be, we started out with the idea, there's gotta be a better way to do data sharing for the purposes of, of research and AI development. And then the moment that was critical for us, the epiphany was, wait a minute. This isn't actually a data sharing problem. This is a compute problem. How do you compute on data without sharing it? The beautiful thing is, simultaneously, in the last few years, some new technologies have come out. You security folks will know about these uh, privacy-preserving computing and secure computing enclaves. Which allow you to do compute in a very locked down way. So we we developed Beekeeper around these technologies with the idea of facilitating access to data by algorithms without sharing. So let me tell you exactly what Beekeeper uh, what Beekeeper is and uh, a little bit a little bit more about the the details. So uh, the principles of Beekeeper are. Data never moves from its origin. Data is never shared or seen by third parties. And at the same time, algorithm IP is protected. That is, if we're gonna ask an algorithm developer who's spent, I mean, we've worked with companies that have spent $20 million to create a single uh, diagnostic algorithm. Um, If we're gonna ask them to send their algorithm to the data we've got to provide guarantees that their algorithm is protected. So the the idea of Beekeeper and the workflow of Beekeeper is imagine an algorithm developer who has an algorithm that they want to send to private data. So PHI, there's no de-identification, there's no modification of the data. It is the native data. Think of it as real world evidence um, wherever it sits. They upload their algorithm. Well, they, they encrypt their algorithm first. Then they upload it to the Beekeeper platform. Then they also create a data spec, which describes exactly what data their algorithm is expecting. So you can see there's there's a there's a deviation between the sort of tracking data and controlling access in a sort of network view, which is what what uh, SoftThread is doing. And and our view where there's a very specific data asset that's been created for a specific purpose. That means we don't have to do a lot of interoperability and worrying about making all data points work for all comers, but there is a a layer of the the data steward whose data it is has um, has to match a spec. So the data steward creates this data asset based on the spec. They encrypt that data, and they upload it to their beekeeper node. So what is a beekeeper node? It is a uh, piece of infrastructure that is spun up inside the data steward's own PHI-safe cloud environment. So think you've got your PHI-safe area in Azure where you're operating on clinical data day in and day out, All your protections and your regulatory components are there. We're part of the Azure marketplace. You push a button and a beekeeper node can spin up. Once that beekeeper node is there, it's got a secure enclave inside it. So the data and the algorithm come together inside that enclave. The way to think about a secure computing enclave is it's like a vault. And whatever happens inside that vault, nobody can see from the outside. And in fact, even the operating system of the computer that's running that enclave can't see what's happening inside it. So it's very, very secure. Once those, the algorithm and the data are combined and the vault is closed, then they get decrypted. The algorithm runs on the data. And then whatever the agreed upon output uh, is, and that's agreed upon between the two counterparties, then, um, then that's what gets, gets uh, output from the enclave. And that's the only thing that can leave the enclave. Um, typically for us, our first product is a validation product. So it is a detailed performance report about how the alg- algorithm worked on the data. So, but there are, are also ways to train algorithms and to uh, generate ongoing outputs from live data streams to uh, to create insights that are useful for the data steward. Um, so a <clears throat> couple, couple other things to, to point out. Uh, we, just so that I don't completely miss the blockchain thread, because otherwise you're going to be like, well, okay, he talked about zero trust, although I haven't yet, and, and security, but he didn't talk about blockchain. So here's the blockchain story. We, capture a hash of every asset that goes into one of these calculations and put it on an immutable ledger. So we're we're tracking the transactions in blockchain. So that allows us to go back when the FDA says, hey, how do I know that this result that you're showing me was actually the one that you computed a year ago when you put in your submission? We can go back to the blockchain, look at the hashes, recompute them and, and match it all up. So it's a it's a very solid Track record for whatever's happening inside the inside the system. Um, uh, a couple of other nice attributes: we can bring down the the uh, enclave and spin it back up whenever we need to. So I'll, I'll tell you about uh, a, a really interesting project that we did and and how the the actual flow and beekeeper worked. Um, but before I do that, I have to now check my other box, which is zero trust. <laughs> so So is it zero trust? Why is it zero trust? Um, Beekeeper AI is a platform that was explicitly constructed to be zero trust from the outset. So we have all the, the various granular access controls. We assume that the algorithm coming into the enclave is an adversary and is trying to exfiltrate data And so we're we're locking down the communications from that system so that everything that comes out, like a a report, is validated. Um, Also, nobody can see each other's assets. So the algorithm developer cannot see the data. The data steward cannot see the algorithm. That ends up being critical because if you have an algorithm coming to UCSF, I guarantee you someone at UCSF is developing that kind of algorithm on their data. And so... If if the if there was a risk of IP contamination, then these projects just wouldn't happen. So there's there's a piece of enablement just due to the fact that we're we're isolating the IP. But then the third piece of the zero trust is beekeeper can't see any of it. So we can't see wh- the 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 keys that encrypt all the bits and pieces go. Go, are encrypted themselves before they go into our hands. So all we're doing is orchestrating the pieces and the actual decryption of the data and the algorithm cannot happen unless they're inside a very specific secure enclave. That's one of the attributes of this confidential computing technology is that you can't just decrypt willy-nilly. You actually have to decrypt with the key in an attested environment. So it's, it's, it's pretty locked down and the result is a very nice zero-trust infrastructure for bringing algorithms to data. A couple of other sort of features, and then I'll tell you about the cool sort of um, clinical outcome that 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 results from all this. Um, the when I when I talked about a data steward bring, putting their data in their beekeeper node, we can actually have many data stewards. In fact, we do have a number of different data stewards, and so. Uh, each algorithm could be could be validated on many different data steward data sets. Each of them are, is running in, in that data stewards infrastructure. So again, the data is not going anywhere. Um, so that's that's really important. We can do federated training. Although right now our products are, are much more about validation, federated training is something we will be bringing out next year. And so it, that that whole Th- that whole suite of things that you have to do to develop uh, AI technology is is um, is coming. Uh, the The story, the customer story that that I want to tell is about a large biopharma that we've been working with. They've created a uh, a treatment for a rare childhood disease that is very difficult to diagnose. So these kids, they have, it's, it's a very, um, it's a progressive disease, it's disfiguring, it's, it's, it's very challenging life-wise for them. But they look like kids with other diseases. So it's kind of a needle in a haystack. You've got this somewhat, you know, this, this treatment that's very effective, but you can't give it to every kid. It wouldn't be appropriate to give it to every kid. You've gotta figure out who needs it. So they came to us and they said, we need a way to develop and and tune an algorithm that can find these kids. And so we set up a beekeeper node for them at UCSF. They created an algorithm that they ran on the data. And then we did a a process of, as they received feedback on how their algorithm performed and what what were the details of where it was strong and where it was weak, they continued to refine and improve their ideas until they got to a point that they had an algorithm that could actually, with very high recall and reasonably good precision, find these kids in the clinical record. This is native data right out of the EHR. And so the final final conclusion was, we had 25 kids that we knew about who had this disease. They were under the care of one of the world's specialists in this area. They, uh, they this biopharma took their algorithm and, and printed out the hashed records of the ten of the ten most likely candidates for for having this disease. And when that was checked against the actual clinical data by the expert, four of those kids were found to actually have this rare disease. I mean this is a one in tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of. so it's really it's really a remarkable finding, and it, it allows us, to bring the therapy to the kids and to deploy anywhere where you can set up a beekeeper node. So we're we're super excited about that. This I I may even be able to say who it is, but this large bio I'm looking at Mary Beth. She's like <laughs> not <laughs> she's yet, yeah. not quite ready. They're very excited about what we've done, and um and so we're we're thrilled. There's 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 a lot of other uh, a lot of other things that we're that we're working on, but the core thing is. How do you get the algorithm to the data when the data has PHI? You know, it can be retinal data, rare disease where you can't, you truly can't de-identify, genomic data. Uh, There's uh, social determinants of health is another example. So, all of these types of data, you just you can't de-identify to build algorithms. You must work on the on the native data, and Beekeeper creates a path to that. And then the so that, that's the that's the beekeeper story. We're very excited about it. The connection to just we were just talking earlier, I just was connecting the dots. If you think about it, these are two very different security views of of how you access and connect to data. But interestingly, if if we wanted to if we wanted to build a model on data where it is but it's longitudinal. That is, part of the record is over here, and part of the record is over here. How are we going to match that up? How are we going to ensure that the right controls and the right access? Well, we could we could we could query your system, mm-hmm. build that meta for those those records, and then the, the algorithms go to the data in place and, and do the compute. And there there you know that's a more complicated story. But just as an example, I think it's interesting how these two pictures, which are very different. Actually, it could be very complementary. So that's the story for Beekeeper AI, and uh, would love to answer questions and 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 talk to you more. Thank you. So so right now, it's uh, the the encryption and decryption is typically done with standard AES 256, but we actually we have we have libraries that can do a lot of different different encryption schemes. So there's, there's sort of a, you know, if we set it up ahead of time, one could, in principle, do, you know, if, if, if we were worried about like, you know, a, a, a quantum attack on, on AES-256, we could, uh, we could do something more, more exotic. So we do have some different ways to do it. Um, but that's, that's the, the starting point is just, just standard, standard encryption. And we have a hybrid uh, encryption scheme that we have patented.
1: Um, that controls for um, the ordering of messages and
0: making sure that things don't get out of order. A little homomorphic component to it or something. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right, so so I'm just going to repeat so everyone can hear. So... So the comment was, it's great that we're looking to make sure that the data can't be exfiltrated. And then what was the? Other? It's a great question. So, yeah. so the question was for the rare disease, were the parents or the kids? You know, was this consented research? Mm-hmm. And the actually, this is a really important point that I sort of skipped. And this is one of Mary Beth's amazing innovations. So our, so when you talk about regulatory, IRB and contracting, the contracting between, between us and the different health systems that we work with started out, you know, typical uh, contracting for this kind of data, tw- started out as 28 pages of dense, legal and regulatory. It's now less than five pages. We actually don't even have to sign a BAA, although we will, because sometimes people are just more comfortable with that. But then on this consent side, we actually explicitly have a consent waiver from UCSF because the data is never is never being seen or or uh, you know interacted with by by anyone outside. So it's actually an explicit IRB waiver, and um, as you as we go to training as opposed to validation there will be some nuances to that so we may we may you know trigger amendments to the irbs that we have depending on what's being what's being uh as you know pulled out of the enclave so for example if if information were to come back to the clinician about um about the um and and i have a and i have an amendment to what i said but If data were to come back to the the data steward organization, then there would be an amendment to the IRB. In the specific case of these kids that were under the care of this expert, these were actually all consented patients because this was sort of supervised in conjunction with other research that she's doing. But but from the UCSF point of view, the compute compute part of it can happen without without, uh, explicit consent.
1: And, and I think that's a very important uh, potential policy um, innovation that could happen, <laughs> you know, is not having to go back to the well from ground zero to get right. permission to do something for, you know, with data sets that have already been permissioned and put in place for that purpose. They're not leaving the uh, store that they're they're held yeah. in. They're being used for the same purpose they were gathered for. Um, you know to me there's a lot of room there to speed up the process. Um, you know, if, if we were able to get policies to actually be implemented,
0: yeah, no, it's a great point <laughs> in, a, in, fact, in a way that allowed that to happen. In in fact, we we can reuse all the contracting IRB for any, anyone that we exact, work with once exactly. we've done it. Yeah. So you had another question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a nightmare. Yeah. So the so the comment was that the the direct connection and the ability to to, to find information in the in the record uh, can can very uh, significantly improve the experience for the patient mm-hmm. when when we're sort of closing that loop automatically. And yeah, our, our our vision there's there's this whole piece of it about deploying algorithms so that that you have those direct connections that we're um, that we're actually really excited about. And I, and I think, we talked about this earlier, regulators will be, I think, very excited about this ability to have algorithms running in an enclave and be able to track performance and drift because, I mean, I always like to quip, it's machine learning, not machine learned, right? You have this ongoing process, you wanna watch for drift, you wanna update when, when care patterns change. So yeah, that whole being able to speed up that cycle and and be able to to find those key findings is is super exciting. Other questions or comments? Anything? We're we're getting the we're getting the shepherd's hook here. So <laughs> thank you on my behalf and yeah, thank you very um, much. I appreciate it. You. Great job.